We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Spencer and Brian today. I'm going to sit back and kind of moderate, uh, not really a debate, but we're going to have some stances that we need to take on somewhat controversial topics where some Hornets fans might view a certain way while others may not. We are uh, going to try this for the first time to kind of have like this back and forth, play some devil's advocate. Uh, Brian, Spencer, I know the Hornets have not been playing the most inspiring basketball so far. So maybe this format might be a, you know, a breath of fresh air. How, how are you guys liking the uh, the style or the format of these uh, this episode today? It's probably fitting <laughs> <laughs> right now uh, with, yeah, with what's going on on the court. So, uh, yeah, no, I think this is – I think the Hornets community that will listen to this episode will also appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we could go through the lineup rotations and discuss the pros and cons of playing Ish Smith and Leaky Black together at the same time. But uh, my guess is most people listening know that those are not good basketball lineups, um, especially as we're about to turn to the calendar year 2024. So yeah, a couple of big picture ones, I think, like looking forward and looking back uh, that um, can can kind of give us like a good snapshot of where the roster is and um, how we got here. And uh, which there's going to be plenty more of that uh, throughout the season, I'm sure. And um, kind of maybe looking ahead a little bit too with some of the players, uh, you know, signed uh, either through this season or, or or beyond, actually. Exactly. And I won't put a timer on this by any means, but we'll, we'll try to keep these things to 10 to 15 minutes for every single topic. And the first topic that we're going to discuss, and Spencer, I'll let you start off on your stance and how you view this. So the stance or the the claim is this. Before anyone else on the roster, Terry Rozier should be the top priority, trade priority for the Hornets before they consider anyone else. You know, I don't think he is the top priority um, on a piece of paper. <clears throat> I think that's probably Gordon Hayward. Uh, but I would say that and I'll go ahead and make the counter, I guess it's, which is, I suppose why I'm a little torn here. I think Gordon Hayward is the top priority because he's an expiring contract. Problem is his, you know, North of $30 million number that you gotta, you gotta trade him at. 
you know, the thing about Rozier is he's got multiple years left on his deal, right? So there, there's just more value in a potential trade there. I mean, Rozier's under contract until the end of the 25-26 season. And although it's not like a super attractive deal, you know, 20 he's 23 million this year, almost 25 million next year, uh, 26 and a half uh, on his expiring year. You know, that's not <clears> – <throat> a super attractive number, I think for what he brings, although that Terry Rozier obviously brings some very serious utility to a, to a competitive team. Um, I think Gordon Hayward's the top priority, but Richie, I would say this. I think Rozier, I think Rozier probably brings back the greatest return out of the, the most, th- the, the tree, the three most tradable players that the Hornets have right now being Miles Bridges, Gordon Hayward, and Terry Rozier. So put Hayward number one, but I, I do think that Rozier might be the the most tradable um, contract that the Hornets have left on the books here. Yeah. I, I uh, unfortunately for our debate format here, Spencer, I think I, <laughs> I think I agree with you pretty much uh, uh, thir- uh, you know, completely here. I think the clock's ticking on Hayward, the chance to get anything in return for that before potentially watching another free agent walk out the door for nothing. Um, again, the, they only have but two months here, you know, less, I guess, you know, six weeks basically to try to get something done. Um, so I think there's there should be a decent amount of urgency for that, especially if you're also trying to like get the Hayward deal in before some like inevitable 15 game injury comes along and just totally tanks uh, any sort of trade value or like what's left of it. Um, and as we discussed on Spencer, you brought this up in the last episode we did together, and it was a great point. Like the Hornets, if you especially if you're looking at Hayward and Bridges as two expiring contracts, plus uh, Rozier is a little different because there's some runway to work with. But like, it's going to be a while before the Hornets again have this opportunity to sort of like trade multiple starter level players. Um, and and Hayward's very very good. The number is weird. We can all understand the sort of like cap gymnastics that would come along with. Um, with putting together a type of deal for that. Uh, but I, I get the urgency there. I think if there's a case to be made for Rozier to be the first guy to go, the first guy out the door, perhaps it's just because like you really want to sell high on Rozier right now. That does not strike me as a thing that the front office would uh, like a theory they would actually be working through. Um, but you know, Rozier is what 29 years old about to turn mm-hmm. 30, you know, turn 30 uh, before the end of the season, 23 points per game, seven assists, 53% on twos, 37% on threes. Um, and I mean, look, someone's got to be a playmaker for the Hornets and he, without LaMelo, he's getting the, the lion's share of the, uh, the opportunities on the ball. And just what this morning watching the Toronto film was like, it's just kind of hilarious to see just Charlotte trying any little pick and roll set they have in the book to try to get Terry you know, yeah. a half a crease to get him into the <laughs> into, into the paint or get him a shot. Just like pretty unbelievable place to be at in terms of a half court offense. But like that might be it. And then I suppose there's some thought of if you think Hayward is valuable to have around either for the rest of the season or if, if you really like we're even for some reason kicking the can on bringing him back, I suppose. Um you think he like matters for like LaMelo and Brandon Miller's development? You think he's a good guy to have around? Um, 
So that would be the only thought would be like, it has to be future focused. And so you'd be selling high on Rozier um, thinking like, if you get him out of the way, you can clear some opportunities up for Miller at the two or for Nick Smith jr. Um, and, and then you keep Hayward around uh, perhaps as like a, a guy that can help you out long-term or you know intermediate term. If, if Bridges leaves after the year and, and a guy that can just sort of the way he has done when healthy the last couple of years, be a good player for you, passer, screener, shooter. So a guy that can help, um, help some of your young perimeter players develop too, like LaMelo and, and Miller. So I think that, I think that's the argument for it. Um, and, and, and Rozier's playing like he's, he's, he's playing well. So again, this would be the opportunity to really like sell high, like maybe his value is like maxed out trade value wise right now. Um, and if that's the case, then you should be perhaps um, doing more to sort of like move him at this moment, even if you have more time. Yeah, I mean, if you're other teams, if you're a competitor, <clears throat> you know, thinking about or calling about Terry Rozier, you know, you're taking on a guy that's under contract for multiple years, as as we've talked about, but also like his u- utility BG, like it's you can copy and paste those shooting numbers. Uh, like he is what he is now. Like I, I really don't see those going down. In fact, they could go up because his usage would go down. Uh, being on you know a team that's actually in the hunt for something, right? So he's not going to have to carry the ball handling load elsewhere. So you could imagine, well, maybe the shooting numbers will go up. Whole point of that is you can trade him again if you're a team trading for him now, right? So like it's an asset that you can actually just recycle if for whatever reason, if if you decide to pull the plug. So he's definitely the most tradable player on this roster. Um, you brought up the Toronto game 2BG and it got me thinking like that fourth quarter – was like it was I, I almost like it brought me to tears how much they were hunting him <laughs> in half court like yeah. it's like my god like the hornets can't they can't, they can't hide him anywhere and and that's the one thing if you are trading for rosier and you're a team that's like we actually need this guy in clutch minutes like it it's pretty hopeless yeah, he's like, got a target on his back defensively into a de- you know into a pick and roll because he i mean now again He's carrying a very, very heavy load offensively, usage-wise in Charlotte. He does, he won't have to do that elsewhere, but like Rozier just very little fight on that end. I mean, yeah. it was pathetic kind of that fourth quarter in Toronto. I mean, it's what happened when they played the Raptors last week, too. Yep. They were just like Scotty yeah. Barnes is either gonna operate a pick and mm-hmm. roll and um and he's gonna get a switch on a Terry Rozier, or if Malachi Flynn or Dennis Schroeder have the ball. Scotty Barnes is going to go screen for them. Then he's going to get the Terry Rozier switch that way. The, the other night against Toronto was also Ish Smith and Nick Smith. Like, I mean, Scotty Barnes was just doing whatever he wanted. Again, Charlotte's small guards. There, there were times where multiple guys like that were out on the court. And like Toronto could have just like had their pick with whomever they wanted to go after. It's one of the reasons why I'm so surprised Charlotte managed to win the other week when Toronto actually like came back by running the, the Flynn Barnes or Schroeder Barnes pick and roll so well. Um, yeah. Terry will have a target on his back. No matter what his point of attack defense has been terrible. I mean, his fight has not been necessarily great on that end, sort of like playing without the ball screen navigation, uh, chasing guys off screens when he's in off ball actions. The thought I guess would be um, if, if he, you know, he moves to another team, a contender, He's going to usage goes down, playing time's going to go down, and the usage will probably be like sort of like 
less difficult pick and roll isolation stuff, which he's having to do a, a lot of now quite well. Like yeah. he, he's been very efficient in isolation and in the pick and roll so far this season, like the synergy numbers for him are quite, are quite promising. But I think if you put him on a contender, you, you like the fact that he can give you some of that, but ultimately um, you're going to use him as like a spot up, you know, movement, you know, triple handoff guy, not like the sort of like, I mean, there's only there's basically this is the only situation I could think of in the NBA right now where where Rozier would have the role that he has at the moment. Um, it's just the complete lack of other like other ball handlers on the roster. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Yeah, the, the teams that I've kind of circled for Rozier, I mean, how many more trades can we do with the Clippers? But <laughs> I do think that the Clippers could really use him. You know, I have, funny enough, Toronto could probably use him yeah, <laughs> as yeah, much as any team in the league. But that's kind of contingent on them getting this thing going, which there are very little signs of that happening right now. Um, I thought about Orlando. You know, I, I yeah. think that they could use just a little extra shooting and, and he could play six man there. You know, mm-hmm. like he could he could take those um Anthony Black minutes in clutch yeah. in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, with, or or not not necessarily the minutes, but those like we need two offensive possessions of quality shot basketball and maybe Anthony black just has to leave the floor and we put Terry, you know, but I do think there, there is definitely a case BG that we could get to the trade deadline and be surprised at the return that Terry Rozier got because those games are close. And when you really boil it down all the way down to its, 
true component. Like it comes down to one or two possessions, and there's not a lot of guys in the league. You're asking for a good offense possession if the play breaks down or he's your second option. Like Terry Rozier's going to get his own shot, and he's really good at those tough shots. And yeah. That stuff really matters when when things get tight. The fact that he can shoot threes is like in in difficult threes on high volume and shoot every kind of three. Yeah, pull off up, the bounce, off, off, off the, the isolation, step back. I mean, flare screens, pin downs. Like he's he's got it all. Um, I do like the thought of like. A couple of years ago, Spencer, you had a great proposal that I really liked, which was it was when Luke Kennard was still with the Clippers before he was traded to Memphis. And it was like a, a mm. deal, a Clippers Hornets deal centered around uh, Rozier and Kennard. That was like at the time, I remember thinking that was a, a beauty of a, of a hypothetical trade. And yeah, with like the Clippers and the Magic, it's like if Rozier's there, there's like a lot of like size around length around him to sort of like help make up for some of the perhaps defensive limitations. You, you can scram him out on those teams, yeah, right? Exactly. Can, like, yeah, exactly. Easily, easily. Yeah. And who knows, maybe like I Philadelphia, like it's probably like Rozier Maxi's just probably not tenable as like a defensive backcourt, but <clears> like they're another team that like, I mean, they could probably use another. Yeah. I, I don't think Rozier is the kind of player they're looking for, but they could use another ball handler. Like they, they could mm-hmm. use another guy to like get his own shot and you know, maybe there's something there, but I, I, um, I, I don't believe so. I know I'm just the moderator, but I feel like I would be on the other side of this debate in terms of, I think you guys are both in agreement that Tira Rozier should not be the top trade priority. I think that Hayward, obviously you don't want to lose them for, for nothing, but I think a lot of people want him off the roster and that just kind of happens naturally at the end of the season. And to your point, Spencer, Terry Rozier would bring back the most out of anybody on this roster, uh, not named the untouchables, but like of the trade targets. I, I think that's why I would lean this way. So here, here's the last thing on this Hayward kind of Rozier debate on who's the top priority trade wise. And I, I thought about this a lot in the last week, you know, <clears throat> I think, the reason trade deadlines are getting quieter and quieter is because agents really kind of force their way into front offices and bird rights are super strong, right? They're, they're obviously uh, by purpose, by true purpose, supposed to be strong so you can re-sign your guys. But I think what plays out a lot of times is why you don't see the trades on expiring contracts for either mediocre players, you know, role players, which I would say Hayward is at this point, or star players is because the team controls their bird rights. So the sign and trade is such a strong tool. The player gets the amount of years, the amount of money they want, and the team gets things back, right? So like the trade down, the trade deadline has almost, it's, I think slowly, like I'm kind of surprised this didn't come up in the CBA more like the trade deadline kind of happens in the summer now, you know, with all these signing trades and that's because of bird rights. Mm-hmm. It's because players get the max amount of years they want and max amount of money they want because of the, what the bird the definition of bird rights is and the team's still able to extract assets. So not, not to say that that will happen with Hayward because he's not going to get paid <laughs> obviously what Charlotte gave him on this past deal, but he can get maximum amount of years if there's a team out there in the market that would give it to him. Uh, so I, anyways, I, I've thought a lot about that and I, it's kind of a, a tangent off topic thing here, but I, 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 I was surprised that did not come up from an ownership perspective in, in the CBA. Um, and maybe it's just cause all parties like this, right. But the yeah, agents I- have really, really overplayed 
their power in in that sense to me. Yeah, it works out for both teams. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Statement number two. This is more of a pessimistic statement, and I actually will throw it to Brian because I, Brian, I can see you going both ways on this. <laughs> JT Thor will be out of the NBA by 2025 when his contract is up with Charlotte. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, 2025 is coming up pretty soon, and and I know we're at the um, we're we're halfway through, or almost halfway through year three. And unfortunately, it does seem like JT's taken a had a bit of a step back this year. He played, I think, nice in spot duty as a rookie. And I thought the final six weeks of last season, he was like a big part of Charlotte's like improved half court defense and transition defense um, with what he was able to do around the rim, getting back, hustling back, using his length, being the the low man to sort of like, you know, help her to put out fires uh, around the floor. And I thought he, Mark Williams, along with Dennis Smith Jr. were like integral in, in sharp and probably some shooting luck too. We're sort of like integral in the Hornets being a top seven, eight defense or whatever the last, you know, March and April of, of last season. So um, he didn't play great at summer league, which was concerning. Um, and he's looked, he's looked really rough this season, just 30% on catch and shoot threes. Um, he, I think he's in the low thirties in terms of percentage on, uh, on, yeah, corner threes, 28%, non corner threes, 29%, um, shooting poorly, basically from every level of the court. He has just five free throw attempts on the season. Um, so like none of that is, none of that's good for a guy who's approaching, you know, a hundred career NBA games, plus some, some G league stuff. So it's not like there's. Uh, there's zero experience to go on, um, but I do think I do think JT Thor will still be in the NBA in a couple of years. He's still just 21. I know it's like a little hard to believe, but he's really really young. This is a guy who came out basically a year early from Auburn. That was like we talked about this a lot during the 2021 draft cycle. Like the 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 argument for Thor was he was a pre-draft player that it was going to take him a year to come in learn a system, get stronger, develop, in that you'd have a guy that could be worth a 2022 first-round pick, but you would have gotten him on a you know team-controlled second-round pick deal. So I don't know. At this point, maybe the first year is a, is a bit of a wash, and then just the team has been so, so bad. Like I think you could argue that the context has been really unfavorable for a guy like Thor, especially for someone who's trying to play off the ball and needs to be you know, sort of set up and spoon fed to kind of get him going. Um, but he, he's missing a lot of, like he's missing a ton of open shots too. Um, but the team's just been a mess on defense most, most of the time. And I don't think that's like, that's Thor's fault. Um, and I just think it sort of makes it tougher for him to sort of like stand out as an impact guy. Cause he's a, he's the team defender, not just like a lockdown one-on-one guy. But I think with his length, I think with a with a shot that enough NBA personnel types can look at and say I see something there. I think we can turn this guy into a thirty five percent three point shooter. Um, and then what he does from a versatility standpoint, getting on the offensive glass, um, being a team defender, being able to switch and guard a few different guys. I think there's going to be a, a thing, basically. I think there's going to be at least one more team that takes a chance on JT if he if he does end up outside of Charlotte and that puts him in the NBA beyond you know into 2025. 
So I think Thor sticks around. I'm still hopeful that he can like carve out a role. I liked him a lot as a prospect. That some of the flashes have been okay. And yeah, I just kind of wonder like what would have happened if he and if he if he ended up in you know Oklahoma City or Orlando or Orlando seems like a team that would love to take a like second draft JT Thor. Like he just really does feel like a Jeff Weltman type player. And yeah, I mean the 2020 draft was a as a mess for the Hornets. Thor has like clearly been the best player out of that draft so far, which maybe not saying much. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not great. Um that being the draft that follows LaMelo is 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 sort of like one of the reasons why the Hornets are where they are at the moment. So no, I'll, I think Thor is in the league uh beyond 2025. Spencer, uh what say you? Yeah, no, I I agree and, and we're supposed to not be agreeing uh <laughs> this year but no, I, I do agree with you. Now, I had to think about this one really hard, though. You know, my thing with, with JT is, and you touched on all this, so I don't need to go into detail, but he is a good team defender. He is a, an attention-to-detail kind of guy. It jumps off <clears throat> when you watch live. I, he's almost like a three-and-a-half to me <laughs> defensively, which is, which is really a bummer um, because he's got incredible length. He's got above slightly above average athleticism, you know, I would say, but he, he, he can't hold up even against fours in the NBA, which I think is really, really holding, holding him back. I I think the idea of JT is that maybe you could even, I mean, certainly if he unlocked his outside shot that you could play small ball five lineups with him. Right. Like, and, and I don't even, you, you barely play him at four. And that, and I think that that, at least in my opinion, like just just watching it, you know, on TV, and and that's a big problem for him, and and why I do think there is a chance he's not in the NBA in 2025. Um, you know, obviously, offensively, he has got to knock down corner threes. He's got to, like that that has got to come around for him to have any kind of real utility that you can circle and say this is this is here. We know this is here. We can count on this. Um, JT just kind of has nothing that you can quite count on right now it's still like the idea of a lot of things and bg i mean you said it he's 21 which is a good reminder because i forget that i feel like honestly i didn't know how old jt was I, you could have told me he was 24 years old and you know <laughs> we drafted him but you know i know he was a one and done at auburn right and so yeah. you know i mean the idea of him like a lot of guys in the nba is is, is fun to think about, but we've seen very, very, uh, very, very little evidence so far. I would like to see the Hornets try some stuff with him though. Like <clears throat> he's not an incompetent passer and he can put the ball on the floor a little bit, like some, you know, some in inverted pick and rolls or something, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the season goes on, the Hornets lose more and more games, like just to test with him and, and, and see, if this guy got like two to three dribbles with a guard that the defense has to respect from beyond the arc, like if he got a runway, can he be a playmaker, you know, at 6'10", 6'11", but just because he can see over the top of the defense, you know, just those kind of things I think would <clears throat> reveal more about his basketball acumen IQ, but we, we just haven't seen that like offensively BG, he just kind of stands there. Yeah. He's pure. <laughs> it's pure catch and shoot or like corner crash. Yeah. You know that that's really it. 
Um, he doesn't even really get to be used as like a screener all that much. No, I mean, um, he just, yeah, he stands in the corner. Like yeah. to know what you have, you have to be like a little bit creative, especially if he's going to be in your rotation and look, we can beat this drum all we don't, all we want. We know that's not Clifford's specialty. Dude, I'm worried. <laughs> like be creative as a, and test some stuff as a sidebar. We've texted about this on the Busby group thread. I'm a little worried about uh, Cliff at the moment. Like, uh, like his like, health. Are you I guess. I, mean, like, yeah. I just, I just like this can't be like. I mean, he probably had to have some idea of what he was signing up for, but like <clears throat> the lineups he's having to play, being this bad defensively. I mean, the the Hornets broadcast has caught him twice in the last like week and a half, just screaming at Nick Richards to set the effing screen. Um, <laughs> like, and if you keep it like. If you keep an eye on Cliff, this will happen. I mean, this probably happens to a lot of NBA coaches, but just there's probably four a handful of times per game where like the Hornets will botch some after timeout set, and yield the yield the camera will will catch Cliff on the sideline, just like you know putting his head in his hands or throwing his <laughs> hands up or whatever. Just I'm a little. I mean, like I I'm assuming he's in good he's in good mental health, and certainly he is well compensated for his efforts here and. Um, the guy loves basketball, so like it, it probably can only be, but so bad. But just to see this team be so bad defensively, bad at with its habits, um, has got to be kind of driving him uh, uh, a little mad at the at the uh, the moment. But yeah, I think like um, I think especially if they if if the Hornets are able to move a couple of the veterans that we've talked about, Hayward, Bridges, uh, Rozier, etc., that like hopefully it does open up some, I mean, probably won't be pretty, but you might as well see what you have, but it opens up some lab league stuff with guys like Thor and Nick Smith and um, that those, that type of like basketball sort of uh, trial stuff because the Hornets have a 1.9 team option on Thor for next season. Yeah. And you, you probably want to see what you have aside from just having him spot up in the corner. You know, he can do like fifth option stuff. He just needs to be able to like, shoot 30 whatever percent on corner threes um and i don't think his shot is broken by by any means um but yeah what else is there because part of the package with thor as a prospect was he could he he was versatile with the basketball that he wasn't just a catch and shoot guy he could do some creative stuff attacking closeouts or or in or in scramble situations and the thought was well what does that mean for him uh going forward like can you can you can he play with the ball in his hands and be like a little bit more than just a play finisher. So who knows the back half of the season could be uh, an opportunity uh, to explore that. Well, and the last thing on Thor, I would say before we move on is, you know, he could be a sweetener in a deal, you know, just like you do have a team option. It's just, it's a super, uh, you know, it's very inexpensive, you know, next season, if you do pick it up and, I guarantee you there's teams and scouts out there that look at this guy. I'm like, no, 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 we, we can, we can do something with this. We can fix this. Our system can tap into more of what he can do. So, you know, it just, just as we kind of consider talk about trades, he's a guy you could, Charlotte should at least kick the can on that and be like, well, what if we put JT in here? You know, what does that do for us? Yeah. Yeah. Again, like top, you know, 35, 40 draft pick, not that long ago, played in the SEC. Like, there's still plenty of people that evaluated this guy, scouts, personnel people that evaluated JT Thor three, two, three drafts ago yeah. that that have a positive grade on him and are just yeah. thinking, well, if we could have gotten this guy in our system, we could have turned him into a, 
you know, a rotation player. He'd be on his way to being a rotation player. So uh, I just, again, the, the length and the movement lead me to believe that he's going to get, um, you know, a, a, another, a second contract somewhere else. Um, so we'll see how that goes, I guess. All right. The third statement that we are going to hash out is the Hornets, like looking back on it, should have never acquired Gordon Hayward back in 2020. Uh, looking at the positives, the negatives, and how it's panned out, what do you guys say to that? I, You know, I think it's easy to say – I think it's really, really easy to say, yes, the Hornets should not have done this. And so I – to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure where, where I stand on this. It's really hard one, I think, or at least to me it is. But I'm going to take the stance of, no, that's that's not true. The Hornets actually should have done this. Number one is, you know, Hayward was brought here to help LaMelo Ball, okay, to, to, to bring him along the right way and to give him a bridge from a playmaking, ball handling, uh, just – pure usage standpoint, you know, to give him account, to give him a a partner. Um, So that idea makes a lot of sense to me. And number two is, you know, this is a small market. Charlotte had just drafted who was going to be the center of their franchise. um, You know, the billboard player. And they also had cap space that off season. And look, it's a small market. You got to overpay. And w- did they pay too much? They absolutely did. That's not debatable. Like <laughs> nobody would disagree on that. But I think the idea in looking out over a number of years and how their cap was going to grow. Now, of course, Miles Bridges and his situation kind of changed that a little bit. That's where, I th- and I think we talked about this a lot, <clears throat> you know, in past years is like, oh man, in 2023, 2024, like Charlotte's going to be in trouble. Uh, and then going into that next season, because if this Hayward thing works out, and then they got to pay, they're going to have to pay Lamelo, and then they're going to have to pay Miles. Like we were looking at the team construct a little differently, but I, I just think from a pure like, let's make sure we put the right kind of tools around the guy Lamelo Ball, who we know is going to be the centerpiece of our franchise. I think the the thought process was correct. Um, and as I said, you had to overpay to do it. It's the only way you're going to do it in a small market like Charlotte that doesn't already have some kind of uh, winning culture to hang your hat on. Right. Um, so I'm actually going to defend it. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm going to defend it. I, I, I liked it at the time. And I know it's easy to say that it wasn't the right thing to do now because Everybody has 2020 vision in retrospect, but um, I think the thought process was it, it, it's it's very defensible. Yeah, the um, I mean, I can remember the I can remember what we said the day of the the podcast we recorded. I can remember what I said, which is that I wouldn't have pursued it. This is not like what I would have done. Um, it was it was obviously an overpay and. At the same point in time, though, I could understand why they were doing it. One, to get good basketball players. Um, to get good basketball players. And they did that. Gordon Hayward is a good basketball player. When he's been healthy, he's been very good. 
And on top of that, he and LaMelo, it's worked. Like it's still even early this season when they were getting to play together some, watching Gordon Hayward screen for LaMelo ball and get a switch and go into the post and LaMelo bend the defense and then throw it to Hayward. Like it was like, God, the vision is still there, actually. I think the my issue with it was is that it sped up the timeline for LaMelo. And we understand why it did that, and we understand exactly who pushed the button to make sure that they would do that. It was the former owner, Michael Jordan. Um, it was his decision to do all of these things. And we still were not able to hang the banner for the eight seed. We yes. still couldn't even do it. <laughs> you still couldn't <laughs> do it. But like the in theory, this team, when they had uh, all of their pieces, um, uh, they were they were a borderline playoff play in team top six offense in the 21 22 season. Um, and it is important to note like at no point in time really did like the Gordon Hayward salary like obstruct Charlotte's team building. They they botched the team building by themselves. <laughs> like like they they were the ones who who tanked the 2021 draft and who had two top 15 picks in 2022 and came away with only Mark Williams. And then Miles Bridges did, did something criminal. Like, like it was like, none of that was like, had anything to do with Gordon Hayward taking up, you know, 30, whatever million dollars per year on, on the Hornets cap space uh, or cap sheet. So, um, I think I've kind of like gotten to the point on on it now too, where it's like I wouldn't have done it. I at the same point in time, I I understood the benefits of it from a Lamelo development standpoint, and from Charlotte trying to become semi competitive. And it should be noted, like they still may get something out of it. Like at the end of the day, they may actually like they might move Gordon Hayward and get a real thing at the before the trade deadline this year i mean i think it's gonna uh, be hard but it's yeah exactly it's yeah you're exactly. gonna have to pull it down to like two or three teams there. yeah right 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 we talked about this on the on the pod last week like why moving yeah. hayward would be tough but like you still may end up getting something for the contract um in spencer you mentioned this at the time of of the the transaction like the only or one of the real like true gripes with it was that it was clearly something that the hornets and Celtics like had not been prepared for like like mm-hmm. days before it happened because right. the Hornets had to eventually had to stretch Nick Batum. Um, it turned into a whole other transaction. Like Boston was kind of caught unprepared for it. Um, so that was the one thing was that it was it was a little irrational um, and it sped up the the Lamelo uh, you know team build timeline. But ultimately, like. I think it's proven to be like a positive contract. Like maybe, maybe I'm wrong. It's probably easy to push back on that, but like what else was Charlotte going to do with the cap space? Like seriously, like what else was this team, this ownership, this front office going to do with the cap space? Like they turned it into a good player that fit next to their best young player. Like it's fine. Um, Didn't wasn't like, wasn't good. They've not made the playoffs with those guys, but like, I think ultimately like ended up being a mostly fine contract and like he's still playing good basketball uh, well into his thirties. So I think if anything, I'm kind of like flipping, flipping around on this and like moving from the, like 
I don't think this was a good idea. I wouldn't have done this. I understand why they did it to maybe like slightly more positive than that um, uh, over the course of the contract. My guess would be the number one thing that MJ just again, this anecdotal, I'm just guessing, but like the number one thing he did was just ignore Gordon's health history and just say, I'm just, I'm, which he, he, he liked to do and probably still likes to do gamble. Like if Gordon Hayward would have played 70 games a year since he's been in Charlotte, this would be a total, we'd be talking about re-signing him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They probably would have made the playoffs like one of the two years, you know, in 21 or 22, you know, I think. But we'd be like talking a, about retaining the asset rather, you know, like yeah. not like, oh, Gordon Hayward's taking us to the Eastern Conference, you know, finals or anything like that. But <laughs> we'd be talking about retaining the asset. Right. And, yeah, and I think yeah. that's where like because you're right, Brian, when he's on the floor, the positive <clears throat> influence he has on the team. Uh, certainly offensively is is very obvious. I mean it's 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 there and he does have trade value. Uh it's it's gonna be hard and we're gonna talk about that you know more on episodes as we get closer to the trade deadline. But anyways I it this is a fascinating conversation to me uh because I think in the moment that it happened there was a very obvious okay I get this and I also see why this is idiotic. And I and, and as we stay, as we talk about this right this very moment, it's it's exactly the same conversation, right? Like so, it's. But I, anyways, to put a bow on it, I, I would defend it. Um, wasn't my favorite uh, acquisition of all time, but I get what the Hornets were trying to do. And again, as a small market, I, I just I don't I don't you know I, I don't blame them for that. All right. Well, that one probably had the most dissension between you two, even though you kind of settled a little bit in the, in the same area. But uh, of the three, that was probably the one you guys had the most disagreement on. We're going to finish it with this one. And I don't want our listeners to take this the wrong way. This is not an indictment, a total indictment on LaMelo Ball. But the statement is this. The Hornets cannot win a playoff series with LaMelo Ball as their quote-unquote number one option. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. Number one option, like what, like it, sometimes I wonder what this, what this stuff means. <laughs> like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, like who's Jason Tatum's number one option? But like, here, here's how I would answer this. I want to see Lamelo be less heliocentric as as time moves forward. I don't think that he can be the number one option on any team. Charlotte doesn't matter where the team is, as like a Luka Doncic heliocentric you know, 33, 34 usage percentage kind of player. I, I I don't, in my personal opinion, and I'm not even sure I'm allowed to talk about LaMelo anymore, but we're, <laughs> we're going to do it here. <laughs> um, I don't think he's the kind of player that's going to be successful in the NBA playing a heliocentric system. I, I You know, he's got off-ball capabilities. He's a good cutter. He's a good movement shooter. We, we've seen this, but... I think it's in LaMelo's DNA to play basketball with the ball in his hands constantly, but I don't think that's the path to him being as successful as he can be and maximizing his potential. So one of the things I want to get into here, BG, because I'm going to turn to you in a second, but one of the things I do want to talk about is how do the Hornets build around him moving forward? Because we're going to have a different GM. We're going to have probably have a different – not probably. We're going to have a different head coach as well. 
how do we build this team around him moving forward to give him the capability to tap into some of those things? Because I just, he's, he's very effective offensively playing with the ball in his hands, but I don't think that's maximizing his potential as a player. Uh, and, and I don't expect Lamelo to realize that now yet either. He's very young. Um, but that's my real rub with him. I don't think he's made since the year he made the all-star team. I don't think he's made strides in, in <clears throat> trying to grow as an overall player. And, and he hasn't been surrounded and given the resources to do that. So maybe it's not fair for me to put that onus on him, but, but as it, as he's currently constructed as a player and how he plays, no, I don't think that he can be a number one option. Um, but I think that if he were to grow as a player and tap into different things, then whatever quote unquote number one option means. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Hornets can win a playoff series with him being the, uh, you know, c- kind of the head guy, if any of that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think I think you and I are going to end up like with opposite answers, but in a similar location, Spencer, which is like, I'll say false to this. Like, I, I do think the Hornets or some other team can win a playoff series with LaMelo Ball as the the number one guy, the the most expensive player, the the guy who has the ball the longest or the you know highest combined usage and assist rate. Um, but I am absolutely in agreement that like pure heliocentric, pure heliocentric basketball is like not the look for Lamella. We've talked about that plenty of times on the podcast and I still like, I will always harken back to like Lamella's rookie year when he got to play with Malik Monk, Devonte Graham, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges. I mean, the Hornets had so many different guys that could, that could handle the ball. Um, and I actually thought that's for whatever it's worth. I thought that's when LaMelo's passing was like at, at its best, like, like honestly, totally agree. Yep. The hit ahead passes, the connective passes, um, the weird scramble situation passes. Um, I think he's made growth as a pick and roll player. Like we've seen him make more of an effort in the small sample this season to get downhill, try to get to the rim. The finishing still wasn't there. But I do think he's shown a little bit more patience. He's done um, some more of the Zach Lowe's talked about this. We've probably mentioned it too. Just like the Steve Halliburton does this, but the Steve Nash style, like as opposed to trying to like if you're dribbling on the right side of the basket, as opposed to trying to like lay it up, dribble through to the other side. Use the rim as a defender. Yeah. Exactly. Look for a passing, you know, kick out or a cut or a dive or a maybe you got a reverse layup there. I think he's mixed some of that in. I wish he would do. Um, a lot more of it, but I just see six, seven with that passing vision and in that shooting touch. And like uh, we can, we can gripe about the, 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 the shot selection. Like that's, that is like kind of an issue at times, but he's an amazing free throw shooter, which I think matters. I think it matters for postseason stuff too. He's a good three point shooter. Uh, he can get off the ball. Um, and he can do some stuff in, in the pick and roll. And I think he's a, a team that you like opponents do have to game plan for. And if you have a guy like that, I'm not saying like this guy can be the best player on a championship team right now, but when a playoff series, like, yeah, yeah, I, I do think that. And it's also, I think worth noting that like, maybe look, maybe low hanging, well, maybe seemingly low hanging fruit isn't always that low, but like, 
LaMelo doesn't actually turn the ball over that much. Like his, no. his, his sort of like, he gets a lot of shots to the rim. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's part of it. But it's like, I guess the, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is like, if he could just tone down some of the, like, there's probably like three, three pointers he takes per game that if you just pulled that out, like he would be, he would instantly become like at least a marginally better basketball player. Like right away, just by saying those, those four, three, four, five shots that, come early in the shot clock and they're a fadeaway three from 27 feet. Like I'm just not taking that anymore. I'm going to drive the ball. I'm going to move it, whatever. Um, we should talk a lot more about like what a hypothetical team build around LaMelo looks like. But I, I think it's important to remember that like there's one, there's a gap between like Helio pure, like Helio centric Luka Doncic basketball and like a number one option, right? Like there, like there's, there's, there's some, there's a delta between those two things. And I right, think yeah. like in in that area is like where you'll find like the the role for uh potentially the role for Lamelo. But as far as like building a team around him, like I think Charlotte's identified some of the right stuff. You want a a lob threat at center. It took they got Mark Williams. I think you want a defensive first wing that can shoot and guard the ball. It took them a couple of years. They got Brandon Miller. I think the other thing you would really want would be like another ball handler that can like really pressure the rim. And that's ultimately why like the Rozier LaMelo backcourt had always had an expiration date on it for me. Like defensively, it's not really viable. And neither one of those guys really can heat up the rim. Um, it's, it's why like the LaMelo, uh, bridges, uh, combination, like seemingly had like some, some real upside before, uh, again, before miles bridges did some uh, horrendous things. So I don't know, like, but I think that's the backbones of it. It's like you find shooting, you find two other wings that can defend the ball and you give them a lob threat at center. And hopefully one of those wings can shoot and, or like get to the rim. Um, and I think like, that's the that's the the recipe and i think it's nice that charlotte has some of that stuff it's just like how do you finding the number two guy is like really really difficult and um maybe that's miller but maybe that's not um and so they're gonna have to find another way to to try to like improve the roster at at an important spot yeah and and, you know they have time you know they they have time to do it i mean Lamelo is under contract until the end of the 2029 season so likely this is going to have to be through trade. Um, The number one, I mean, you, you laid it out perfectly, BG. The number one thing I would like to see Charlotte prioritize with Lamelo ball and his ability specifically offensively is right now. I would say he plays with the ball in his hands or just in general with an advantage with an advantage. In other words, the defense is somewhat compromised on some part of the floor with an advantage, probably 5 to 10% of the time, and that's probably being kind. Can we move that needle to 25, you know, 20, 25%? LaMelo Ball is one of the smartest passers or just readers of the floor in the NBA, but he is so disadvantaged and incentivized to play this carnival style of basketball because of the way this roster is built and he's developing bad habits. I think that's kind of in his DNA too. That's always been one of my frustrations with him. If you allow him to play that way, he will play that way. And so what I really want Charlotte to prioritize is can we find someone that is a smart player that is going to make the right plays 
is going to take some of the ball handling duties off of him, is going to be a positive shooter, uh, creator of offense, and allow him to resign Gordon Hayward. <laughs> What's that? Resign Gordon Hayward. <laughs> like all the, the things you're just mentioning is like, is like, yeah, it's just like, a, like 70 games of Gordon Hayward, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, anyways, we can talk more about all this, but I, I maybe let's bookmark this, Richie. Like, how do, yeah. how do the Hornets, like, this season's over, right? How do the oh Hornets, God, yeah. <laughs> how, how do the Hornets move forward and, and they need to think about this with their GM hire. I mean, the name, and I know we got to get out of here quickly. Um, the name I always come back to, and, and I wouldn't even, I don't want Mitch Kupchak to do this, but like a DeJounte Murray. Like yeah. that's the kind of player that, you know, and we don't have the infrastructure in place right now to make a move like that. But I don't think it'd be crazy for Charlotte, theoretically, to make a trade like that now. A guy under contract, Lamelo just signed his new, like, Kind of like Atlanta did, right? That's exactly the kind of trade they made with, with trade, you know. But we can't just keep kicking the can down the road every year with Lamelo and say, "Well, you know, next year we'll get the guy through the draft or V trade." Like, I think it's time for them to go out and be creative and make a move. But and that's why I keep hammering home this idea of like, let's move off Mitch Kupchak now. Let's not wait to the end of the season. Let's do this now. We got three, you know, two expiring contracts. Terry Rozier, another, you know, asset that I think we can move now. But all right, I'll stop there. I know we got to go. <laughs> yeah, creativity and Mitch Kupchak don't seem to go together. <laughs> they, they shouldn't be in the same sentence. Yeah. yeah. But I, I would not be surprised, Spencer, what you're suggesting could happen. Like, you know, maybe it, it happens prior to the summer. Um, get the ball rolling on that. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you guys tuning in. I was hoping that this episode would produce more like of a screaming match between you two, but it's <laughs> very civil. If you guys like what we do, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. For Spencer, for Brian, I am Richie. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. And we're out. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.